0: Good morning to you. Yes, Yes, please. It's very nice to see you all here this morning. Uh, My name is Neil. I'm married to the lovely Kate. Thank you. And uh, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. And while you're doing that, why why don't you watch this? This is not terrorist. This is not terrorist. This is not terrorist.
1: We are humans. We're the humanity. We're the world to see us look. Everyone here, they are families. 48 hours after Macedonia shut its border to refugees, the gathering crowd makes a break for it. They didn't come this far to be held back. Thank here! You. you make every problem. For you, for your you make the problem. Thank you. Hundreds do get through, sprinting across open fields as armed police units fire percussion grenades, in this case directly at a mother and her two children. Until Thursday, this was an invisible open border. Railway tracks leading from Greece through Macedonia towards Serbia, the EU, and Germany beyond. We've just heard the sound of small arms fire going up above the heads of these people, hidden in bushes alongside a field trying to get into Macedonia. They've taken staggering risks to get this far. They've travelled the sea in plastic dinghies. They've crossed multiple borders on foot. They did not expect inside the borders of Europe to be confronted by violence from armed police. It's all yet another sign of the European Union's complete inability to deal with this vast movement of refugees. To these people seeking safety, it must feel like heartless indifference. So,
0: over the summer, uh, our daily newspapers, uh, nightly news have been filled with both graphic images, heartrending heartrending stories of tens of thousands of refugees uh, fleeing war-torn Syria in, in search of a more humanitarian future for themselves, uh, for their families. The Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, just at the end of last week, was responding to the, uh, the refugee crisis in Europe and the Middle East. Uh, Justin Welby, he, he said this. He said, this is a hugely complex and wicked crisis that underlines our human frailty and the fragility of our political systems. My heart is broken by the images and stories of men, women, and children who have risked their lives to escape conflict, violence, and persecution. Now, perhaps more than ever in post-war Europe, we need to commit to joint action acknowledging our common responsibility and our common humanity. He goes on. As Christians, we believe we are called to break down barriers, to welcome the stranger, to love them as ourselves, and to seek the peace and justice of God in our world today. With winter fast approaching and with the tragic civil war in Syria spiraling further out of control... We must all be aware that the situation could yet worsen significantly. And then he said this. He said, the church has always been a place of sanctuary for those in need. And churches in the UK and across Europe have been meeting the need they are presented with. I reaffirm our commitment to the principle of sanctuary for those who require our help and love. He continues with this, the people of these islands have a long and wonderful history of offering shelter and refuge going back centuries, whether it be Huguenot Christians, Jewish refugees, Ugandan, Asians, Vietnamese, boat people, or many, many more. It has always always been controversial at the time it happened, always been seen as too difficult, yet each time we have risen to the challenge and our country has been blessed by the results. We cannot turn our back on this crisis. We must respond with compassion. But we must also not be naive in claiming to have all the answers to end it. It requires a pan-European response, which means a commitment to serious-minded, diplomatic and political debate, but not at the expense of practical action that meets the immediate needs of those most in need of our help. And then on Friday, speaking on the World at One, the Archbishop again, he said this, he said, Britain has a moral duty to do what it can. And the response has to start with compassion and with the human being, just the dignity of the human being, which has been the Christian teaching, the foundation of our value system forever. The essential dignity of the human being. Reaching out, making space, doing everything we can to play our full part with every inch of moral fiber that we have with every single struggle that we can to tackle this problem. No one can say we're not involved. No one can say these people aren't our problem. These are human beings. That's what we're talking about and there are millions in their position. Now, as he says, very rightly, these are hugely complex situations. I have, I have no idea what uh, the solution is uh, and is often the case. We find ourselves in situations like this and we can so easily feel so powerless. We can feel so impotent. We feel like whatever action we might take is just going to be like a drop in the ocean What difference can anything that any of us can do make? Uh, So where would we even um, begin? What I do believe, uh, particularly at times like this, is that we should be turning to the words of Jesus. Uh, We should be looking at the example of Christ uh, to inspire and to fuel whatever our response uh, should be. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's have a look at Matthew chapter 9. We'll start in verse 35. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his 12 disciples to him. This is chapter 10, verse 1. He called his disciples uh, to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. If you think of the day of Pentecost, uh, the day of Pentecost was when the Christian church was birthed. The apostle Peter told us, back in Acts chapter 2, who the gospel, who the good news of the gospel was for. And essentially what he's doing is he's saying, this is who the church is for. This is what the church is for. The church is about the good news. The church is about being the good news. The church is about the gospel. And in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 39, Peter says this. He says, this promise, the promise of the gospel, the incarnation of the gospel, the gospel in action, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So when you think about Acts chapter 2, you think about Pentecost, the birth of the church, you know, the reason, you know, why do we do this thing called church? How, why are we this thing called church? Well, there's many, many reasons for that. And I think one of the reasons, at least as far as it concerns people, uh, that we do church, that we are the church, is partly for us. You know, this is for you and your children. You know, those who are near, that's, that's fine. But the church is also designed to be the gospel for those who are far off. The church is also designed to be the gospel for those who aren't part of the church. For those people who aren't part or don't belong to a community of faith. For people who are not only far away from the church, but for people who are also far away from God. For all who are far off, the apostle Peter says. All for whom the Lord our God will call. That's what Jesus had in mind when he created this thing called the church. But... Somehow, and for some reason, those of us, you know, even those of us who are committed Christians, those of us who have been followers of Jesus for many, many years, sometimes we need to be reminded of the fact that the church, whilst it does exist for you and for your children, it doesn't solely exist for you and for your children. Sometimes we need a little reminder that actually this thing is, yes, in part for us, but it's also for those who are far off. It's also for those who are far away from God, those who aren't part of a community of faith. And this morning, I want us to take a look at a few things uh, from the life of Jesus that might help us as we remember the call that is on every single one of our lives as followers of Jesus to those who are far off. Be they refugees fleeing Syria, uh, who we can pray for and find ways to engage with, or be they friends, family, and neighbors who we can be reaching out to by, I don't know, inviting them to a barbecue at the yard on uh, Tuesday evening to find out more about Jesus. And the first step in, um, in remembering this call to looking beyond ourselves, to looking beyond the four walls, to looking beyond the situation and the circumstance that we're in, Um, The first step in reminding ourselves of that call on our lives to those who are far off, I think, is about becoming aware. It's about becoming aware of those people who are around us. It says in verse 36 of Matthew chapter 9, it says, Jesus saw the crowds. Jesus saw the crowds. See, being outward focused, looking beyond ourselves, is always going to come about By seeing people, by actually seeing people, really looking at people, opening our eyes and opening our eyes long enough to allow the Spirit of God to do something with our hearts. Whether that's by actually seeing the plight of the refugees filling our screens at night or spread across the front pages of our newspapers by day, or whether it's by actually seeing the people who live around us, you know, the people down the road from us, the people at the school gate, the people who live around the yard, whatever. It all starts by seeing the crowds. It all starts by allowing our hearts to become aware. Um, and awareness the sense of awareness will very quickly one of the things it does is it very quickly kicks in and reminds us that this isn 't all about us and if uh, if you realize if you realize that you 've stopped being aware of those around you and it happens we 're just so busy we don 't have time to be aware too many things on my to do list i 've just got to get on and so um, if you feel that you 've Stopped noticing things around you. Can I encourage you to take some time? Just this week, just take some time and just very simply just stop. Just kind of suddenly just like hit the pause button. We were talking about margin before the summer. You know, come back to margin, just hit the pause button and stop. Just take a moment. It doesn't even have to be very long. Next time that you're out on the high street, just find a bench. And sit on it. And just take time to actually see the people who are walking up and down your high street. Just take time to uh, see the people walking past. And ask the Spirit of God to show you what's going on in their lives. and, um, And he'll show you. Maybe, I don't know this week, maybe actually take some time to talk to your neighbors. Like the people who actually live around you. Actually, just, you know, when you're putting out the dustbin, like, you see Fred from across the road. Like, actually, ask Fred. How is he? How are you doing, Fred? How are you? What's going on? How was your weekend? Like, just take time. Just take a moment. If you want to find a a great way to become properly aware of the lives of the people who are actually living in our community, um, get involved in the job club at the yard on a Tuesday or get involved in the food bank that happens at the yard on a Wednesday or a Sunday or come along to the but come along just come along to the barbecue on Tuesday just come and eat some free burgers and find a seat and just watch what's going on these are very easy ways to have the eyes of your heart opened up to what god is wanting to do in people's lives so the first thing is awareness Okay, and then Jesus, of course, goes beyond awareness. Jesus goes uh, beyond aware to this profound sense of care. Okay, so verse 36 it says this when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That, that kind of perfectly describes what we just saw. On that video from Al Jazeera, these people running across fields, crowds of people harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And the words in these verses, they're, they're incredibly powerful and they, they're supposed to be evocative and they're supposed to evoke a response. And the NIV describes the crowds as harassed and helpless. And the, the word harassed there, what it, what it means, it, it, it literally means to be skinned alive. That's, that's what it's describing. And as Jesus looks out at this crowd, he's, as he becomes aware of the people, he stops long enough to see, properly see the people around him. Jesus looks and he listens with his, the eyes of his heart to what it is the people need. And, and all around him, Jesus sees people who are in pain. All around him, Jesus sees people who are broken. All around him, Jesus is seeing crowds of people who are beaten up. People being beaten up just by life. Being beaten up uh, in this context with Jesus by uh, maybe abusive relationships. Being beaten up by damaging religious uh, teaching and and abusive religious leaders. Uh, People who are beaten up by spiritual powers that are just too strong for them. So they've got them held in Bondage, people who are being beaten up by addictions that are just controlling their lives, that have overwhelmed them. Jesus sees around him a crowd of people who are harassed and helpless, literally being skinned alive. And it says Jesus saw a crowd of people who were helpless. And that word uh, means, literally means people who were knocked down. It's sort of a word that would describe people who are lying in the middle of the road, dying of some mortal wound. They're just lying on the street, just kind of bleeding out. That certainly describes the pictures that we're seeing on a daily basis of, um, of men and women and children literally fleeing for their lives. But what are the people around us? When we look at the people who are in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in, in our lives when we're looking around us, when we look at people and we really properly look, are we aware of how harassed and helpless so many of the people that are in our lives, how how harassed and helpless they are when we just scratch a little bit below the surface? And how does God feel when he sees people who are harassed and helpless? It says in verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He had compassion. And when God sees people in this kind of plight, the kind of plight that we see the refugees in, the kind of plight that we see every week at the job club, the kind of plight that we see every single week at the food bank, the kind of plight that many of us see every week and every day in our workplaces, the kind of plight of the lives of people that we see on the buses and on the trains and on our high streets. Um, When God sees people in this kind of plight, he has, he has compassion. He has compassion. And the word, again, it's evocative. The word that's used here is of a, of a physical, visceral, gut-wrenching, heart-breaking compassion and care. That's the response that God has to a people who are harassed and helpless. Jesus feels, Jesus experiences this incredible, physical, visceral compassion and care. It says that Jesus looked out at the crowd. Jesus had compassion. On them. He felt something for them from the very depth, from, the, from his innermost being. So Jesus is aware of, the, of what was happening around him, what was happening in the lives of people around him. Jesus cared about what was happening in the lives um, of people around him. And then thirdly Jesus prayed. Verse 37 says to the, Jesus said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into the harvest field. We find ourselves so often confronted with these vast, complex incredibly difficult situations. the Refugee crisis. Uh, and it feels so overpowering, as I said at the beginning, that we just may not know how to act. We may not know what to do. We, we, we just feel overwhelmed. We, we may even, if we're honest, say, oh, do you know what, I really don't care. I've got too much going on. I haven't got time to care about Syrian refugees. I'm sorry. You know, uh, I, I don't know what's going on there. There's probably some other kind of reason and explanation for it. Um, you know, they're probably not as needy as they look. You know, they all look quite well-dressed to me. Uh, you know i i don 't know if I even really care you may say i don 't i don 't feel that visceral compassion and care well you know that's, it's it 's not okay but it 's okay um, One of the quickest ways to allow our hearts to be touched is to open our hearts up to the spirit of God and, and to do that in prayer okay so we want to find out and get in touch with what god 's heart for these people is allow yourself to um, connect with the Father and allow yourself to pray and the Spirit of God will very quickly give you that heart uh, that you need there 's a chap called Patrick Johnson he wrote a book um, called Operation world and it was it was written to encourage Christians around the world to pray for world evangelization. And and, uh, he's talking about prayer. And in his book, one of the things he says, he writes this, he says, how can weak, frail, puny Christians speak to our omnipotent creator to make any difference in our world? It's a breathtaking mystery. And, And he goes on in his book with this illustration about intercession and the power of prayer and the power and importance of intercession. And uh, he describes it like this. He says uh, there's a strange European custom. He's obviously uh, American or certainly not European, but he's saying there's a strange European custom and it, uh, the launching of a ship where a, a very important person, a VIP, a member of the royal family or someone like that is invited uh, to come along and, and, and name and launch this uh, ship. And the great ship lies on uh, the slipway where it's constructed. You'll have seen old um, movie footage of uh, of ships lying on the slipway where they're constructed. And this VIP comes along and smashes a you know, bottle of champagne across the bow and, you know, I named this ship. And as they name the ship, once that's done, you know, the cables that are restraining the ship are, are loosed by unseen hands and this ship majestically slides off to begin its, its life on the high seas. And, and what Patrick Johnson's saying is, is that's a great picture of intercession. It's a great picture of intercession. And what he's saying is, you know, the naming of this ship by a member of the royal family or some VIP or whatever is important, but the ship actually could be launched without it. The ship actually is ready to go. I mean, the ship could actually do what it needs to do without this whole kind of paraphernalia and rigmarole. And yet one of the great mysteries, Patrick Johnston writes, um, is that our loving Father, for some reason, has somehow chosen to limit his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, so that he can team up with and partner with and co-labor with his redeemed people, us lot, so that his actions in the world are sort of inextricably linked and connected with our prayers. So what God does, his actions are connected with the ways in which we pray. Now, we may not know how to act. We may face a situation like this and we may have no idea what to do and where to begin, but one thing we can do is we can pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send laborers and workers out into the harvest field. So, We become aware, we care, we engage in prayer, and we share. It gets even better than this. Oh dear. You'll remember it there. We share. Verse 35, go back to verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So Jesus went around preaching teaching and healing. Now most of us if we're honest we've got a thousand and one excuses why we're actually not called to share our faith verbally or overtly or in any kind of outward way you know and um, we've got a thousand and one sort of dodges things we'll say things like you know actually I've been thinking about it when I look around the, evangel- the evangelists they're all kind of they're all extra You know, and um, I'm not. I'm actually not an extrovert. I'm actually a proper introvert, and um, so I couldn't possibly. I couldn't possibly be evangelist. I couldn't possibly share my faith because I'm an introvert. You know, or actually, as I've kind of looked at people who share that seem to share their faith a lot, I don't know about you, but um, quite a few they're pretty obnoxious, actually. You you know, there's something about they're quite irritating because they just go up to people and say, you know. Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus or something like that? And you just think it's a bit awkward, socially a bit gauche. And I'm certainly not socially gauche and not obnoxious. I definitely don't want any of that kind of thing. Or um, another thing that a lot of us do is uh, is we say, you know, I'm going to cash in on that uh, famous saying of Francis of Assisi. You know, the the one that he never actually said, uh, which is, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's absolutely my all-time favorite. Um, So what I'm going to do, I've got my strategy for evangelism and sharing my faith all sorted. I'm going to just live my life at work and at school and within my family in such a way um, so uh, people will come to me and ask me questions because so much light and radiance is emanating from me and the glory of God is just... So present, they will come up and say, what is it about you that's so different? What must I do to be saved? And we'll say, well, I will lay a hand on you and you will be redeemed. And we all know how well that one's going uh, with us all because nobody ever actually says anything. They never say, there's something really different about you. Or we say things like, you know, well, actually, I'm not very gifted. I've done my my questionnaire on my gift mix. And I've discovered that I'm not gifted with evangelism. I'm an administrator or a teacher. And so therefore, I shouldn't evangelize. It would be a dangerous thing to the kingdom if I were to ever share my faith. Because I'm clearly not qualified in that area. So I'm not going to share. Or evangelism for the super spiritualists for people like Billy Graham and stuff like that. I'm not Billy Graham. Whatever it is, and it just goes on and on and on. Sharing our faith is for everyone. Sharing our faith is for every single one of us who is um, a follower of Jesus. And, and when we're talking about sharing our faith, all we're ever being asked to do is tell just tell your story. What you've got to do is just share the story of your life, share your lives with people. That's what you've got to do. You've just got to, it doesn't matter how little you know about Jesus, how little you think you know about Jesus, just share. The little ignorance of who he is, that's enough. Let the Spirit of God do the rest. All we're being asked is, is just to share something of ourselves with the people uh, who we uh, do life with. We've got Alpha coming up. It's a great opportunity. It's a fantastic opportunity to uh, be inviting people to come along, for us to be sharing our faith. You know, um, For everyone, it's just to say, Look, we've got a barbecue going on this thing. I mean, I don't know what you'll think of it. You may hate it, right? You know, the, the the best thing I can offer you is a free burger. It it might just get go downhill from there. But it's a couple of hours on a Tuesday night. It'll be fun to see what's going on. Why well, I'm going, why don't you come with me? And find out about this person called Jesus. And find out if you're interested in Alfred. Find out if you're interested in finding out more about this person called Jesus. Share. The thing about sharing is that we're never going to be willing to share unless we're willing to dare. Oh, you're harsh. Aware? That took me ages. Come on, give me something. Give me something, for goodness sake. Aware. Yeah, aware. It's a bit late now. Aware, care, prayer, share, dare. Dare. Uh, chapter ten, chapter ten, verse one. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. See, sharing it, it, all of this stuff, it takes risks. You see, because Jesus has got these crowds of people in front of him, and he goes, you know, oh, you twelve, you twelve over there, you're it. So what? Well, yeah, you, 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 you're the solution. You know, there, see, there's the problem. There's the challenge. Yeah, gosh, huge. You 12 over there? Uh, yeah, here's the authority. Now, you go and do it. You go and solve the problem. You go and drive out the impure spirits. You go and uh, heal every disease and sickness. Go on, off you go, off you go. There's the challenge. Yeah, 12 of you, off you go. It's huge risk. It's going to require... Boldness, and it doesn't always work out. Whatever it is, our sharing doesn't always work out. You know, uh, we see a need and we try to meet it, and uh, somehow we haven't quite made the right connections, and it just doesn't work out, and it feels discouraging. Or uh, we try to share our faith, and we take a step, and we step step out in faith, and we we, we tell people about Jesus, and it doesn't quite work, doesn't quite work out, and and we feel like we've fallen flat on our face. But you know, that's not the point. The point isn't whether it works out or whether it doesn't work out. That's in the hands of our Father in heaven. Our job is just to go out and to uh, drive out impure spirits, heal every disease and every sickness. Our job is to be Jesus' hands and feet. Our job when we're responding to a, a refugee crisis is to do what Jesus would do if he were in the middle of this situation right now as the church, as the body of Christ. We step out in faith. So we allow the eyes of our heart to become aware of the needs and the situations around us. We allow our hearts to be broken with the things that break his as we feel and we, we get in touch with his compassion, God's compassion, God's care. We get on our needs before our Father in heaven. We cry out to him. We call out to him in prayer. We dare to take a risk. We dare to share what God has done in our lives as we invite people to things like Alpha to see for themselves, and then we kind of stand back and see what the Spirit of God does with it all. The promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all for whom the Lord will call. So, so where do we start? That's kind of like a framework, you know. And it's like, okay, well, that's helpful, but what do we actually, what do we actually do? Like, what practically? speaking can we do what do we do today well, this morning we're taking you know we've been taking a look at jesus heart for those around him and um, and for us that means it means those people the lord has put in our lives those people around us people like our families and our friends people uh, our neighbors people uh, that we work with our colleagues but it also includes people like the the archbishop of canterbury describes as people with whom we share a common responsibility and people with whom we share a common humanity. And whichever group of people we're talking about, be they friends and family or be they Syrian refugees, the things that we've talked about this morning, the things that we've looked at from the life of Jesus, um, should help us as we work out what our response should be. The first thing that we do is we make ourselves aware of the people around us. We make ourselves aware of what's going on. We begin to care for the plight that they're in, whatever that may be. We, we hold them up in prayer before the Lord. And in whatever ways that we can, we begin to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus um, with them, even when that means that there's a huge risk involved and we're going to have to dare to do something different. You know, for those people that we know, Why not invite them to come along on Tuesday evening? Why not invite them to come to the barbecue? Why not invite them to come and to hear about who uh, Jesus is and to see if Jesus is who he says he is? Why not see if they might want to come along to an Alpha course? And for the thousands and thousands upon thousands of refugees, where might we begin? Well, uh, perhaps it's in the same place. Perhaps it's exactly the same thing. Let's make ourselves aware of what's actually happening in their lives. Let's allow ourselves to care about what's happening in their lives. Let's seek the Lord in prayer for them. And let's be ready to dare to share our lives with them somehow in the way that the Lord will make clear. And um, as a church, how are we going to do that? How might we do that specifically? Well, the first thing that we can do is... Uh, we can help provide financial support to those people who are on the ground. Okay, so the first thing uh, is financial support uh, to those who are on the ground. Tier Fund, uh, an organisation we've uh, regularly supported uh, as a church. They've just launched um, uh, a new emergency fund, which is uh, planning to bring desperately needed help and support to some of their partners in many of the affected nations from where the refugees Are coming. Uh, They're now uh, partnering, Tier Fund are now partnering with church groups across Europe, uh, enabling them to offer care and support and aid uh, to those who've already fled. Those are in uh, huge need. And and the appeal that they're putting out will help fund this work in Europe, as well as helping some of the millions of people who are already displaced and some of the the refugees um, within the Middle East. Itself, and so uh, over the over the coming months, and starting today in a minute, we'll take up the offering. Um, all the money that is given in and through the offering baskets here on a Sunday—that's over and above your uh, regular tithes to the local church—but all the money that goes into the offering basket on a Sunday uh, will go directly to the uh, TF Refugee Appeal. Um, in the black pouches and chairs nearby just in front of you, you'll see these things. They're they're called gift aid declaration forms. So any money that you put in there, if you're a UK taxpayer and you fill this thing out, right, um, and stick it in the offering basket, the government will give us, I think, 25% of your donation uh, back. So what it means is that your gift is augmented by 25% if you're a UK taxpayer and you actually... Uh, fill this thing out so you're getting free money from the government the government are contributing to whatever it is you're giving to uh, and so that all that money will go to um, tier fund uh, so that's um, the one thing we're going to do and we're going to be doing that uh, in a minute so uh, in a minute we'll be passing around the offering baskets then another practical way so the first thing is giving financially another practical way that we as a church can get involved is through prayer and you'll remember that uh, Pete Gregg Uh, from 24-7 Prayer. He was here with us uh, earlier this year. Well, next week, starting tomorrow, uh, the 7th of September, I think from midday, um, as a church, we'll be joining with 24-7 Prayer um, as they join with others all over the world in a week of prayer for the refugee uh, crisis. And what they're doing is uh, 24-7 are providing an opportunity for uh, people to sign up, for hour-long slots, uh, wherever you are in the world, to pray for the Mediterranean refugee crisis. And as I say, that week will run from um, midday on Monday, the 7th through to, uh, I think it's the 14th. Um, What we'll do is we'll post more details of all of these things with links on the city um, and on the website, so you can see what's going on. But you can sign up online, uh, take an hour of your week. There's some resources on there as to how you might pray um, and pray for those in need. So financially giving, um, prayer is the second thing. A third thing that you might want to do is you might want to write to your MP. You know, you might want to write to your MP and let your MP know what your thoughts are about this refugee crisis and, and how you would want your MP to best represent you as one of their constituents. And so, um, again, if it's useful to you, uh, we've got a, a draft letter that you, you might want to use, you might not. Um, we'll make that available to you so that you can edit that and do what you like with it. And if you want to um, let your MP know what your thoughts and feelings are on the situation, uh, then we'd encourage you to do that. Um, And then, uh, so that's a third thing that you might do in terms of engagement. And then a fourth thing, uh, many of you remember last year, South East London Vineyard generously donated and gave over 750 kilograms of winter clothes to... um, uh, an appeal that was happening, um, getting winter clothing to uh, Iraq and to Syria, and as well as you also helped f- financially support and fund the transportation the lorries going out to um, Iraq and Syria. You collected winter clothes, shoes, blankets, and stuff like that well this year we 're going to be doing the same thing, uh, and so we 'll let you know in more uh, in more detail that's going to look like but you can start collecting good quality new and used winter clothing uh, shoes blankets sleeping bags uh, anything that uh, would be able to be of support Um, and then we will uh, show you when and tell you when to bring that in and we'll um, get that distributed Um, and as the lord shows us as we press in with this as the lord shows us how he would have us as a church break down barriers welcome the strangers to love these people as ourselves to seek the peace and justice of god and we'll respond in the only way that we can okay so it may be that some of you the lord speaks to you about different ways and different things that we as a church could be doing just let us know what those things are and we can just add that into the mix just to give as many people as as possible an opportunity to respond in the ways that we feel like the lord is saying that sound like a plan Nod politely. Uh, In a moment, we're going to uh, take up the offering. Uh, I think what we'll do, actually, I think we'll take up the offering and I think we'll pray and worship at the same time. So uh, if we can have the band back.